0: All right. Well, um, I too had a sweet video for you tonight that unfortunately you will not be able to see. Uh, the topic of tonight's talk is the controversial king. And the video was going to depict the biggest controversy in the history of the world soccer. I mean, this is a controversy that's bigger than some of the big controversies we're facing right now. Like, should the Twilight Saga continue? You know, is Chloe really a Kardashian or not? <laughs> you know, should Beyonce had named her kid Blue Ivy? I mean, this is the major controversy. I mean, we're talking about 1966 World Cup final match between England and Germany, and the score is two to two, and they're going into overtime. And the guy, the British guy by last name Hurst. Kicks off the crossbar onto the ground. The entire British side erupts with glee of victory, saying that the ball has crossed the line. And of course, Germans are disputing this, and the main referee runs over to the line judge, a guy by the name of Tofik Bashirov from Baku, Azerbaijan. And what comes to be known as the Russian linesman makes the most controversial call in the history of the world soccer and he claims that this was the goal. Handing England its World Cup victory. I mean, this guy became an instant celebrity in Britain. The Queen of England would send him a golden whistle. The British formed the Basharov fan club, which we actually might have a picture of for you, if the hometown named after him. (laughs) On his deathbed, they asked him a question, how certain are you that the ball actually crossed the line? And he supposedly mumbled one word, Stalingrad. Now, Stalingrad was the place of one of the biggest Tank battles in the history of World War II, where 75,000 Soviet people died. In one single move, the guy... This is a controversy that involves world history. It involves people. It involves the nations. And the same thing happens when Jesus steps on the world scene. He is indeed a controversial king. And tonight, we're going to look at one passage in the Bible that talks about the fact that he is indeed a controversial king. We're going to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, passage to you. It says, and he returned to Capernaum after some days. It was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when had made an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic's son, Your sins are forgiven. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God by saying, we never saw anything like this. You see, we're continuing our journey through the gospel of Mark. Two weeks ago, I talked about the fact that, you know, Mark is not the best storyteller. He puts this most crucial bit at the beginning that tells us who Jesus really is. And you and I, as readers of his gospel, are let into the kind of a mystery that characters in this story don't really know. We know, having read this, that Jesus is God's final word of address to humanity in its final hour. We know that in Jesus, God is finally breaking into the flow of history. And then last week, Bart did a great job talking about what happens when this king steps on a scene. That his section talked about spending a day with the king, and that everything in Mark happens immediately. That Mark is in a hurry to tell you the story. To get to the end, the way Bart put it. That at the end of the story is Jesus' death on the cross. That yes, he indeed is the king, but he's not the kind of a king that the nation of Israel has expected. Yes, he is the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about. But he's a suffering one. He's the one who's going to reign indeed, but his throne is going to be cross-shaped. And tonight we're gonna look the kind of a controversy that stirs up as this king walks towards his cross. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, we want to hear from you. Uh, In the midst of technical difficulties and the crazy things that sometimes are out of our controls, Lord, it is so easy to get distracted. It is so easy to lose sight of what really matters. That in the midst of the technical hoopla, Lord, you are the one who matters. And so tonight we open our hearts to you. And we ask that you would speak your words of life into our hearts. That as we watch the controversial king walk on the scene. Lord, I pray that we will be scandalized by the controversies he causes, but that they would happen in a way that would transform our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the interesting thing about this point in Jesus' ministry is that it's picking up the steam. I mean, in some ways, you could describe Jesus as one of those, you know, rock star megachurch preachers. You know, things are happening. People are coming to hear him. You know, and I kind of want picture like Nathaniel being his kind of a style guru. You know, Jesus, the bearded look is pretty good. It makes you look a little bit Amish. You know, and we got to get you a little, you know, this uh, skinny robe made by true religion. And, you know, we gotta, we gotta get this dude that we got, his name is Podcast, you know, we gotta get him out there. He's got pretty good brains. He can, for a little sum, he can show up at different towns and verbatim deliver the message that Jesus would give in Capernaum. And suddenly people across the country are hearing the message of Jesus and they're hopping on their ox carts, on their donkeys, and they're all coming down because they wanna hear more of him. You see, there's thousands and thousands of people that are surrounding Jesus. But Mark is not impressed with that. You see, Mark has it was almost like a pejorative name for them. He calls them Ochlas, the crowd. 38 times Ochlas is going to show up surrounding Jesus in large numbers. And the thing about all of them is that they're kind of like extras in a Hollywood movie. You know, kind of a, characters that you didn't know even were in the movie. Like you go to see a chick flick with your girlfriend, and at the end of the movie, you know, they pull out all the stops. They bring like Celine Dion or, you know, whatever kind of a music to tug on your hearts, to make you sit in your chair for a little longer as the credits roll. And you see characters like Jogger or Lady with the Hat or, you know, Fat Guy Eating Donuts. And not like, I didn't even see a guy eating a donut. What's going on there? But they're all in a movie. You see, can you imagine being that guy? You know, having a beautiful career in Hollywood. You're at the cocktail party and somebody asks you, so what do you do for a living? Well, I'm an actor. What movies have you been in? Well, you know, have you seen that that Cannibal Women in Avocado Forest? (laughs) Second sequel? Well, I'm the guy who was eating donuts in that movie. Not exactly the most stellar career in life, but those are the crowds. Those are the extras that kind of fill out the narrative. But throughout the entire Gospel of Mark, the question is, which way would the crowds go? You see, the disciples are throwing their lot with Jesus. They're following Him. The religious establishment is going against Him. But then there are the crowds. They're those guys that kind of uh, want to be around Jesus, but they don't really want to take him seriously. You know, they're kind of like these religious connoisseurs. They like to hop from one place to another, you know, listen to one podcast to another, and they want to gather and garnish their religious experiences, but they don't want to commit. But you see, wherever Jesus shows up, he causes the crisis of faith. And it's a crisis of faith where he demands from people to abandon what's most dear to them in order to embrace him. You see, for his disciples, it's going to be their jobs, it's going to be their families, it's going to be their futures. For Pharisees and Sadducees, it's going to be their comfortable, cushy life off of religion. For ordinary people, it's going to be their perception of moral and physical outcasts and how they ought to be treated. For scribes, it's going to be their understanding of scriptures. But one way or another, Jesus shows up and demands a decision. And as a result of this, one or two things happen. You either worship him or you want to kill him. You see, those same crowds that for first ten chapters are following and crowding Jesus. Eventually, when Jesus shows up to Jerusalem, turn on him. In Mark chapter 14, verse 43, we're told this, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and elders. Mark 15, verse 8, And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Mark 15, verse 11, But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him released for them Barabbas. Mark 15, verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released to them Barabbas, or however you want to say his name, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Jesus does not give people around him an option to stay in this tofu stage of a crowd. He forces a decision. Listen to the words of Dorothy Sawyer. See, she says this, The people who hanged Jesus never to do them justice accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. It has been left for the later generations to muffle up that shattering personality and surround him with the atmosphere of tedium. We have very efficiently paired the claws of the line of Judah, certifying him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious ladies. To those who knew him, however, he in no way suggested a milk and water person. They objected to him as a dangerous firebrand. You see, a lot of times we have this picture of Jesus kind of like, you know, this little Palestinian Barney kind of walks in the room and says, how are you guys doing? And kind of like shaking his little purple body. You know, so good to see you today. You know, let's have a big group hug. You mean you chased your grandpa with a chainsaw? It's all right. Come on in here. You mean you severed your neighbor's toes with a jitsu knife? That's all right. He's young. They're gonna grow back out. You know, I I love you. You love me. What a dysfunctional family. That's kind of a picture we have of Jesus. But in reality, in reality, he's the controversial king, who right now, right at this moment. Wants to claim his stake in your and my life. Listen to John Piper. He has this to say. <clears throat> he says, fight for us, O God, that we not drift numb and blind and foolish into vain and empty excitements. Life is too short, too precious, too painful to waste waste. On worldly bubbles that burst. Heaven is too great. Hell is too horrible. Eternity is too long that we should putter around on the porch of eternity. Friends, that's what the crowds are doing in Mark's story. They're puttering around on the porch of eternity. They're standing outside Jesus' room and they kind of are listening in a little bit and saying, What did he say? Well, he said, drop your pants and follow me. No, that's not what he says. He says, abandon all and come. Let me shape your life and your existence. And friends, the question that obviously begs to be asked is, where are we tonight? You know, in a group this size, there's many of us that are in this category of ohlas. In a category of a crowd, if we're really honest with our lives. You see, we kind of we show up here on Thursday night and give Jesus a little distant salute. And then we're off to do our own thing. And for many of us, we claim that Jesus is indeed the Lord of our lives. But then He has no room. He has no place to intersect into the rest of our week. He has no room to interject into what He wants us to do with our lives for the future. What he would want us to do this weekend if you're a freshman involved in this movement. We'll give him no room as to tell us what he wants us to do with our summers. You know, we've already made up our minds. And we've already slipped a little slip to Jesus. This is what I'm doing. Now open the door so I can get there. Rather than saying, Jesus, what would you want me to do with my summer? Or well, we are in this relationships that are killing us. That are destroying us inwardly and we know it. And we know deep down in our hearts that we are in a category of a crowd. And Jesus says, come on in. Because this is what we find. You've got these four guys. These four guys that have a friend who is a paralytic. And they don't know who Jesus really is. They don't know what he is really all about. But they know that without him, their lives are eschatologically and existentially screwed. They've tried that voodoo doctor. They've tried that hypnotist. They've tried the religious establishment. And nothing works. The only place to go is Jesus. And they show up. And they dig the hole through the roof because they know that unless they put this guy in front of Jesus, he will never walk again. That's how desperate they are to get face to face with Jesus. Controversial king, Causes controversial actions. You see, a lot of people say, well, back in that day, you know, they would build a stone staircase and you could go up to the roof and you could lower it. No. Digging through the guy's roof and lowering your friend through that hole and asking him to heal your friend was as ridiculous then as it would be today. But they do it because they have no other options. Cardinal Suhard would tell us that saints are those whose lives would not make sense if God did not exist. You see, these guys' actions make absolutely no sense if Jesus is not who he really claims to be. But if he is, then they should have dug a bigger hole. <laughs> and the question is, How are we that desperate to be face-to-face with Jesus? Do we long for Jesus more than anything else in our lives tonight? But as we come to this controversial king, we find something we did not expect. You see, these guys are looking for a chiropractor. Their friend cannot walk, and they want him to walk, and they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus says that seeing their faith he looks at the paralytic and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's not what they're there for. But this one passing comment from Jesus alters the entire scenario of this story. You know, sometimes somebody makes a passing comment and suddenly things just dramatically change. Like this morning, I was going to swim. I go to this place called Aquatic Adventures. I mean, I know it sounds like some kind of vacation spot where people, you know, with uh, leafy shirts and, uh, you know, martinis are walking around. But really, it's a serious swim place. So I'm on my 2012 slim down kind of a plan of swimming every day. So I show up as I'm checking in. (laughs) Okay, I put my name down the roster and the lady looks at me and she says, hey, by the way, there is a guy testing a torpedo in the line one and two. And it's kind of like, guy's testing a torpedo i'm like the 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 military one and she's like yeah he he's an author and he has a movie coming out in november so he's testing a torpedo so if it swims into your line just kind of push it out of the way i'm like what i walk in and there's this gigantic torpedo and a guy got this like remote control machine thing going and, you know, it's like everybody's huddled in the lane one and t- whatever, six and seven. You know, they're like double-teaming, triple-teaming. And, of course, the only lane that's open is number three next to the torpedo. <laughs> so suddenly, this one comment from this lady, guy testing a torpedo, turns my experience of swimming into a survival technique. <laughs> I've never swam that fast in my life. I mean, I think I had the music of Jaws in my background, like... <laughs> Okay, this thing is going to attack me at no time. But just one comment, the guy's testing a torpedo alters the reality. And it's the same thing here. Jesus says, I forgive your sins. What? I just want you to crack my back so I can walk. What do you mean if you want to forgive my sins? But that's what Jesus does. He scandalizes us. We come looking from him for something, and he hands us absolutely different thing. Then the crucial thing comes in verse 10 when he says, So that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. And he looks at him and he says, Get up and walk. You see, he takes them immediately. Those of us, that most of us are not so versed in Old Testament, that would understand what he's referring to. Son of Man is his most favorite self-designation in the Gospel of Mark. Fourteen times Jesus refers to him as the Son of Man. He's referring to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, we have a picture of four different beasts that come out of waters. And there are supposedly four different kingdoms that rise up, that are oppressive to the people of God. And later, in the same chapter, we're given a vision of the Ancient of Days, God himself on a throne who is high and mighty and exalted. And then we're told that there is one like the Son of Man who comes to the Ancient of Days and is given authority and power over the nations. Jesus takes this one ordinary situation where God needs his back cracked and turns it into a life-changing experience. He says, you know that Daniel's seven figure, I am it. I have authority to forgive sins on earth. And he looks at the scribes and he says, now you go, sit in your systematic theology class and figure that one out. And friends, he wants to do the same thing in your and my life. Listen to the words of Henry Blackaby. He says this, he says, he has right to interrupt your life. He is Lord. When you accepted him as Lord, you gave him the right to help himself to your life anytime he wants. If you are sitting in the audience tonight and you say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, what you are telling him is this, Jesus, you can interrupt my life anytime, any way. You have that right. And friends, I don't know where you sit, but I know I have had those experiences. I remember being a senior involved in this movement here at Ohio State University. And I remember, you know, as I'm graduating and I have the political science degree and I'm thinking, you know, I was going to go back to Georgia and I was going to plunge myself in a political realm. And it happened to be that a friend, family friend was going back and he was going to run for for the president. And I get a call from him and he's saying, our country needs us. I want you to come and run with me. That guy happens to be the president of Georgia right now. And I remember wrestling through that and I remember sitting with my mentor At Tommy's Pizza on North Campus. And I remember him asking me a question. That consisted of two questions. That I didn't know that he learned from somebody else. But he said. You know. As you look at the rest of your life. What you want to wrestle with is this. is two questions. Which cause would you live for? And what person will you follow? And right there. Right in the middle of Tommy's Pizza, Jesus interrupted my life. Right there at Tommy's Pizza began a tug-of-war with God. Saying, God, I've had these dreams of political career. I had these ambitions and aspirations. And yet I know that the cause that I want to live for is ushering your kingdom into this world. And there was no other person that I would ever want to follow but your son, whom I have claimed to be Jesus. And I had to make the most important, at that point in my life, as a 21-year-old kid, important question in my life. Say, no, I'm not going in the politics of Georgia. I'm going to take the gospel to the college students of the world. Now, that's how God called me. That's how he interrupted my life. And here I am. That was 1994, so you do the math. And the question for you is, what is Jesus whispering into your ear right now? How is he interrupting your life? And are you ready to listen? Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus... Deep, deep down in our hearts, we know that we want you to interrupt our lives. We know that you are the king who's worthy of every breath we take. And Father, I pray that tonight your spirit will do his work in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that tonight will be the night where we'll honestly wrestle with you and wrestle with those questions. What cause will I live for? And what person will I follow? Come quickly, Jesus. Amen.